Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, presented by Head Speaks. This is an hourish long podcast where we'll talk about the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comic from the late 80s, early 90s. We'll talk about every appearance of these two great characters. If you've never read them or haven't read them in a while, this may be a good time to explore these issues. Now, let's get started with our first comic. Welcome to episode 16, where we're going to look at the May 1989 dated books. Well, not dated, but released. <clears throat> Slight problem with this, the only one of our books that came out in May was Manhunter number 15. Uh, just before I get there, Starman number 12 was technically a June book, June book, as I'll get to when I get to that book. It came out June 1st, but in June there was two Starman books, one on June 1st and one at the very end of June. So, I'm either going to have one issue this month and three next. I said, you know what, I'll go ahead and fudge a little bit since it came out June 1st. We're going to slide it up a day and we're going to pet it for the May releases. So, this will be covering Manhunter 15 and Starman 12, even though Starman 12 is technically a June book. But my show, I do what I want. <laughs> so, we're going to start with Manhunter number. 15. Before I get to that, though, I do want to mention that the last time we left Manhunter last month, in 14, he was being shot at and killed by some Cobra goons. Manhunter then showed up over in the Janus Director a little bit more. He was in three different issues. I'm not going to recap those issues entirely. I'm just going to give you a brief rundown here of what happened there. In Suicide Squad 29, we find that Mar- uh, Manhunter is still alive and has infiltrated Cobra. He's had a couple pages in there, a couple panels. In Checkmate 18, Man- we find out that Manhunter is, again, as I said, infiltrated Cobra and he's feeding information to Waller and other good guys about where Cobra's at and what's going on. And then Suicide Squad 30, the last part of the uh, Janus Directive crossover, it's the big attack on Cobra's headquarters. Mark, our hero, fights Cobra and ends up defeating him. Manhunter turns him over to Ben Turner, a.k.a. the Bronze Tiger, and tells Ben to let Waller know that he's charging her extra and he's done working for her. Which brings us up to this issue. Uh, For more on the Janus Directive and for more in-depth coverage of those issues, check out my Task Force X podcast. Here in a couple months, I'll be getting to the Janus Directive. And I'll be covering the Manhunter book along with all the other books in more detail. Uh, but let's go and get on to this issue, Manhunter number 15. Cover date was July of 1989. But since I'm doing it this month, it was on sale May the 16th, 1989. The cover price was $1, edited by Barbara J. Kiesel. The title was Born Under a Bad Sign. The writer of this book was Kim Yell. Plotted by John Ostender, 
Penciled by Grant Meehan. Inker Pablo Marcos. Letter Albert Toby de Guzman. The colorist was Juliana Freder. And the cover was done by our buddy Doug Rice. The synopsis for this issue. And again, the credits and the synopsis all comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics as normal. Thanks, Mike. You do a fantastic job on that site. After his battle with Cobra, Mark Shaw's unable to contact Amanda Waller at Bell Rev, so he returns home. He picks up a warrant from Mirage and tracks his target to a disco. However, Manhunter is beaten in the ensuing fight and tossed in the dumpster. Sylvia, Sylvia? Sylvia Candre and Mark's family wait for Mark at a restaurant. When he doesn't show, Sylvia begins investigating. Using Mark's computer, she is able to find out where he went. She then calls Lieutenant Best, and together they find Mark and stop Mirage. Now, again, for my thoughts on this, as normal. So, for the cover of this one, we show in the background we have the Manhunter mask laying on top of it, as it were, is what it looks like. We see Mark, his costume's torn to shreds, missing his mask. He looks like he's been through the ringer and then something. His baton's laying next to him, scattered around him as trash, and our rat's watching him, about ready to gobble on him. Overall, this is a great cover. has these words on the cover. says, Death Alley. Kind of sums up what's going on in this issue. It's a very nice cover. I, I really enjoy this. It's very nice. I love the way that the, the Manhunter mask is taking up the background. If you pulled out Mark and the Garbage and the Rat, you would still have a nice coverage. The man, a real close-up of the Manhunter mask. It's kind of... Uh, in what I pick up from the Who's Who's podcast as a serpent. So it seems like to me like the, the, the lighter, inky style, the bluish, yellow eyes. It's very nice. Then we begin our story. And again, the synopsis I read was from Mike's Amazing World Comics. The story doesn't play out like the comic, or the synopsis says it does. In the synopsis, or in the actual comic, we see Mark running through the some tunnels. He's got his half Manhunter mask on he received from the uh, he got from the gents from uh, Southern Cross. And he's running. He's got some voiceovers. His narration saying that, you know, rumors of my death were greatly exaggerated. But corpse is exactly what I wanted people to think. And he talks about how basically recaps the last issue of Manhunter and the couple issues of Suicide Squad squad and checkmate that he appeared in the, the Janus Directive. Uh, we find about that like a little recap here we get. So we get the title Born Under a Bad Sign. Uh, here it says it was plot was by Camille and John Ostender and Camille did the script. So uh, moving on then we see Mark zapping Cobra with his uh, baton and they're fighting a little bit but he kind of goes through Cobra and again, they fight a little bit. Cobra turns into, I think it's Mirage, maybe. And then it turns into Catman attacking him. And then back into Cobra as he stands over Mark laying their beat. And then we get a, a, a little subset here of a dumpster with a hand sticking out of it. Mark's tunneling on the ground and a figure kind of walking away. You're not really sure what's going on in this page. What's going on here? I like the way it's laid out. Again, the artwork, it fits with the previous issues. I think Grant's doing a great job on this, and Pablo Marcos is the inker. I like the layout here. Again, maybe look like, what the heck? Because last we saw Mark in this title, he was 
jumping off of, uh, or someone was jumping off of the Manhunter costume off the uh, tracks, being shot at. And then if you actually read the crossover, you'd see he actually showed up over there and defeated Cobra. So you may be kind of confused as what's going on in this issue. And then we mark crawling out of the dumpster. He's all beaten, battered. His eyes black. And here at the bottom of page, uh, not numbered, page four it looks like. This rat watches and jumps at him. I like here on the bottom, I think it's page four, the bottom left panel. We see the rat looking at Mark. We see Mark laying by the dumpster from the rats in the rat's eyeball. And this rat leaps at Mark and he like fangs. He reaches out, just grabs the rat and smashes him against the wall before he passes out. Uh, again, you tell Mark's been through the ringer. You're not sure what's going on yet. And then we get a flashback of Mark as we talk about the synopsis at Bell Rev trying to get a hold of Waller to get payment for his services rendered. And he's talking with uh, Economos, and Economos tells him that she's in uh, Washington, that for, uh, Task Force X is being reorganized, probably disbanded, and he says that him and Murph, uh, Economos runs the prison, Murph's, uh, I believe, one of the main guards. They're dusting off their resumes. And Patsy, or Mark's like, well, it's a little too pat, a little too, you know, too convenient. She's not here when I need her. I need to talk to her. And he leaves, like, you tell the fat lady she'll be getting my bill. It'll be a doozy. And tell her it's the last job I'll ever take from her. Again, kind of the same thing he told Ben Turner, Ricky Bronze Tiger, at the end of the Janice Directive crossover. They're resaying it here in case you didn't read the crossover. You kind of get what's going on and where he's at. And then we got to modern, modern, current time, modern times, current time. And these panels are like, we got a couple panels of Mark laying there on the ground looking for his baton. But he can't really move because he's in so much pain and so beat up. And behind him we have Mirage. Kind of the background holding the panel up almost looks like. It's an interesting layout. I like the way it's laid out here. Again, like I say, I enjoy the flashback. There's a little bit of a darker panel than everything else to show that it's a flashback that's not... Because case you're like, what's, what's Mark doing? What the heck? Again, we got Mark. He's still in this Cobra gear. I think it's Cobra gear. And again, yeah, he's basically trying to get paid for his last job that he got kind of suckered into. And then we see a little dinner of Mark's family and Sylvia Candre. And it's been a while since I've read these books. I've reread these books since probably I first got them. And I forgot that him and Sylvia hook up. And that's what it appears like is going on here. So I, I forget. I forgot about that. So let's see how that plays out. Because Sylvia's here and she's with the, his family. And so she's calling in trying to find out what's going on using her, her police connections. And Sylvia, as Shag would say, is kind of hot. Standing here on page 8, I think it is. Standing there talking on the phone. Got this sweater on. She's looking cute. Uh, moving on from there. Again, she f tells the family that he was looking into Catman and Mirage. And Catman busted Cat... Or Mark, Manhunter, busted Catman. Because he, when he was actually going after Mirage. And so Sylvia's like thinking, she's like, yeah, does Mark have a computer in his apartment? Because again, she is a computer person. So if she can get to his computer, she can find out a little something. So not only is she attractive, she's very smart. In case you haven't noticed it from the previous issues. But from the, reading this page, these pages, 
we find out that they gathered for Mark's birthday, apparently. And I like this. His brother's talking. He's like, I don't believe he's out on a job on his birthday. And then he's like, on second thought, yes, I do. <laughs> so, again, it's very much how Mark is. I mean, even though it's his birthday, his family's gathering to celebrate it. Mark's out working, trying to make a buck. And then after that whole business, we get back to Mark in the alley. Still trying to get to his baton from Mirage. Comes back to finish his, uh, the job he started. I like this. He's crawling from the dumpster. He's like, happy flipping birthday, Shaw. Many unhappy returns. <laughs> and he's trying to stand up to, to get over his baton. And he keeps falling and collapsing. And then we get some more flashbacks to lead us to let us know how we got to this point. So we're, we're on page 11, it looks like. Almost halfway through the book, we're just now finding out through flashbacks how he got to this point. So apparently after he went, met up, we'll talk to John Iconos over a task for our suicide squad at Bel Rev. Uh, we find out that Mirage works at a disco. He was coming up early, coming in early set his tunes, so Mark got there earlier. And he said the cassette was in place. <laughs> Again, this book was from 89. So, yes, cassette tape was used in this instead of like MP3 player or something. kind of dates it, but it dates it in a good way, I think. And so as Mirage is getting things ready, Mark plays something that says, Carrie Austin, a.k.a. Mirage, you're under arrest. And, and Mirage kind of looks around, what the heck? And Mark comes zooming in from above, up here, stupid. <laughs> and if you're not familiar with Mirage, I'm not. Uh, the story that I can think of. Uh, apparently he's got some sort of gem that allows him to cast hallucinations. Cast mirages, if you will. And uh, so he pulls the stun and starts transferring mirages. Like, up yours, stupid. Again, very childish thing to say. But again, these are superheroes and supervillains. So what do you expect? And apparently he can type into your, tap into your psyche and make you see what... Because, I mean, make you see things... Because we see Mark facing off against Mirage, Catman, Dumas. I forget who this other guy in the back is. And they start beating on. But the. So I don't know if. Uh, so I'm not Mirage, sure if the Mirage here is a Mirage or if it's actually him. I wonder if it is him because he socks Mark and Mark goes flying back. And he shoots Mark a couple of times. And then he picks Mark up and takes him and dumps him in the dumpster to go complete his job. So I got like a little flashback here, finding out how we get here. And again, if you're not familiar with Mirage, as I said, join the club. So I looked him up to see, because again, I'm not familiar with him. Apparently this is his first post-crisis appearance and his only appearance, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. He f actually first appeared in Detective Comics, written by one of my favorite writers, Jerry Conway. Uh, here states his alter ego is Mike, also known as Carrie Austin. He appeared in Detective Comics 511 in February of 1982. Here it talks about how he uses a gem that causes people to see elaborate illusions. He commits crime while the people are fighting the illusions. Uh, came across Batman. He says he fought Batman several times. While Batman had come away to defeat him during the encounter, the gem was destroyed, and Batman is able to defeat him and send him to jail. While in jail, managed to create contact lenses for fragments of his jewels. He resends to create... Then he proceeds to create the illusion of himself in jail and escapes to the circus he once worked for. Starting another crime wave, Batman is not alert to his actions. This time, Batman beats him, sends him back to prison. 
And then there's also a note here that Mirage also fought Manhunter once using his illusion so successfully he nearly kills the bounty hunter, which we're reading about now. Following Infinite Crisis, Mirage is freed from prison again. He is killed, and again, these are all spoilers for future stories. He is killed in new, uh, the series called 52, number 25, by Bruno Mannheim. He bashes Mirage's head into the crime bible and sends his body to the kitchen to prepare for Manaham to eat, revealing Manaham is a cannibal. So again, so this is his first appearance post-crisis. Not sure how much of the pre-crisis is still in continuity. Uh, and then there was another Mirage later on, which was a member of the Teen Titans, which was from the future. We're not going to worry about her because she's not part to the story, but... So that's Mirage. He's kind of a... He's only appeared a few times, apparently, over in Batman. And then that was all before the crisis. Since the crisis in 85, this is his first appearance. So, just looking elsewhere online to see which of how many books he appeared in. The only thing I can find says he first appeared in Batman 511. I don't see anything else really that talks much more about because again he's a very very low level character so he's like a c-lister maybe a d-lister but again he is powerful enough to take on mark apparently as mark's was succumbed by his illusions so that's who manhunter is uh, back to our story we're in the mark's apartment with sylvia on his computer his family standing around and she hacks into his computer and finds out that Apparently, Mirage, oh, he owns or works at the disco. It says that uh, has the name and the address of a disco that Mark staked out. So she calls Lieutenant Best, who's at home with his family, and tells him that she need, tells she tells him that she needs him to round up some cops to help save Mark's butt, basically. And uh, I like this dialogue here on page. I don't know. Page 15. Uh, so Lieutenant Bess is on the phone. His family sitting around the dinner table watching. He's like, mm-hmm. So you and me round up a posse, rescue Chump Hunter, and bust Mirage. You ask him for a favor, Kendry? And she's like, you think you owe me a favor, Lieutenant? And then, she, <laughs> and then we cut to her on the phone, hang up the phone. He's like, Lieutenant, I'll beat me to the club some uniforms. And she pulls a gun out and getting ready to go save the guy that she cares for. I don't know if it's love yet, but the guy she's dating... And again, this is all referencing the past issues of Manhunter, where she was busted down for helping out Mark, and Lieutenant Vest kind of feels responsible for that, some of that. And they're back to Manhunter, alone in the alley, dragging himself towards his still. Again, he's been the entire issue so far trying to crawl to his baton, thinking back how he got here, and now he's thinking back about his dad, who's called Hugh Fletcher, who was a lousy businessman, a burger, called himself Outlaw, remember that name? Probably for next episode. Uh, apparently he panicked, shot someone in a holdup, got shot by the cops, and was killed by cops trying to get away. Died in an alley. I like this, like father, like son. Though the main difference is that Outlaw was a bad guy and was killed by cops. And while Mark may have started out as a bad guy, he's done some good, he's become a hero, and he was, in quotes, killed, or being killed by uh, a criminal. So... A little difference there. But then we get Mark's family and Sylvia in the the uh, club. 
where Mark's behind that. Mark's in the alley behind this club. And they're looking around here. And as Mark's brother goes, he's in a suit with a cane walking in the disc. He's like, I feel conspicuous out of place. A man with a cane and a disco is really going to blend in as the cane dips in some blood. And before that, there's this guy hitting on, I think it's Mark's mom. And he's like, are you type of kiss and tell? He's like, no, in your case, no to both. <laughs> and you give me some dialogue, some thoughts here from Sylvia. She's worried about Mark and how she seems to care for him. She's like, this is a fool's errand, Sylvia. And you know, you're human Mark's family, and you exhausted any credit you had at the best. And I'm glad that I'm glad I'm a fool. Oh, Mark. So again, she she has feelings she cares for for Mark, so that's a good thing. And like Lieutenant Beth shows up some cops, and the, the bouncer's like, you can't disrupt this party, it's a private function. Mark says, I can disrupt anything I want, starting with you, if you don't get out of my way. And so the police can say they had a bomb threat, so they evacuate the building. And Mirage pulls out his gem and jumps out and attacks. And this makes what makes me wonder if the other pre-crisis stuff was still in continuity because there the gem was destroyed. And so he used parts of the gem to make contact lenses. But in this case, he's back to using the gem, it looks like. So I don't know if he fixed the gem or if none of that pre-crisis stuff happened. Because they're not really referring to anything about his his past in here. So as a reader, like I said, the only reason I know about that post-crisis stuff is because I read it online back in 89 when this came out. I didn't have that luxury, so I, I couldn't read about that. Couldn't read about that? Well, that's going on, and Mirage is fighting the cops. Mark's brother goes out to the alley, and I like this. He says, well, as the cat in the cartoon used to say, exit, stage left. So exit, stage left. <laughs> And the cat he's referring to a Snagglepuss from some old, uh, I think it was Hannibal Bear cartoons, like with Yogi Bear and all them. I used to love them growing up when I was a kid. Those some great cartoons. In fact, if you get time, go to YouTube and check out and see what they have there. They may have some of them on there. I found that clip I just played from there, so. <laughs> but anyway, so Mark's brother comes running out to him, finds him laying there battered. Also, the club explodes. That girl explodes. And Mirage comes out, his hand glowing, very cast some illusions. Take a good look, I'm the last thing you'll see before you die. And then <laughs> Sylvia steps out, kind of like a, a dirty, hairy kind of thing. Not if I can help it, hairball. Freeze, police. And so Mirage starts casting Mirages, making people, make them all see different things. And Mark's talking to his brother, he says, Jamie, help me raise the baton. Ready, steady, hold me. Okay, Mirage, you're busted. And he blasts him with his baton, knocks him down. And then Sylvie jumps on top. He's like, you have the right to remain silent. You have the right to a lawyer. Blah, de, blah, de, blah. Look, I'll take it from here. Kendrick, mercy to Shaw. And that's best coming up, taking control of the situation. And so they rush Mark to the hospital because he's in dangerous straits. And then we cut to the hospital where they say he's, in, he's stabilized. And that's a good sign. And we end this issue with uh, Mark laying there hooked with monitor. He's like, come say farewell to the birthday boy. And she's like, you say goodbye, and I say hello. Sylvia, I've been a blazing fool with you. Mirage, used you. Maybe, maybe not. 
Get well. We'll talk a lot. Just please, get well. And she got tears in her eyes as she reaches out and grabs Mark's hand and holds his hand. A very touching scene. And I had to look online because I knew that say hello, goodbye thing sounded familiar. And yeah, it is from a Beatles song. You say yes, I say no. You say stop, and I say go, go, go. Oh no, you say goodbye, and I say hello. Hello, hello. I assume that's where that reference came from. I'm not 100% positive. But that's why I assume. But that's this issue of Manhunter. Overall, I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was a good story. We get a little more about Mark's personal life here. We see him... Again, most heroes you don't see get the crappy out of him like this. But this shows that Mark is kind of a, uh, a realistic, if you will. If you uh, More realistic, more down-to-earth here where he, he can lose. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, real quick on the letter column, which is called Hunter's Bounty. Just want to point out there is a letter in here from Uncle Elvis. Uncle Elvis, which is an old school letter hack, renowned back in this time frame for writing a lot of letters to comics. I always like to point that out because that's when I always remember <coughs> reading when I read comics. I read, I would always read the letter columns. I used to always see the love see the letters from Uncle Elvis. He was a staple, and. Uh, and so, another note here from a, uh, a Bill Norris Jr. who says, People are still talking about the Millennium Series and the Manhunters. So, do I have to be any different? <laughs> well, I guess most people think that all the Manhunters are gone. Well, I don't think so. Flash's father survived, and so did Mark Shaw. So, couldn't there be others? Can there be others? I hope so. They'd be great villains for Shaw. Well, we don't want people to have to read too many long letters, because you're, you got a great book, keep making. Thanks for reading this. And they don't say anything about if there's going to be more manners or not, so we'll have to wait and see. I thought that was interesting, so I'll bring that up. <clears throat> but uh, not much else really to talk about on this issue. Uh, next issue box says, Mark Shaw runs against a man with a name that sparks a memory. Outlaw. I told you about that name for next issue, so let's hold off and see what happens. But that's going to do it for this issue. Let's go play some commercial breaks, and we'll be right back with Starman. Now, these messages. Hi, John. Hi, Maggie. I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that we're married. <laughs> Me too, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Aw. Oh, hey, I was looking at these old comics and I noticed that there's Hold a Hold that thought. Why don't we talk about it on our podcast? Do we have a podcast? It seems like the logical next step. We get married. We change our names. We combine our comic collections. We start a podcast about comic books. Well, I can't fault your logic, but there are plenty of podcasts out there already. Do you really think we'll have anything new and interesting to say? Oh, I think we'll manage. Welcome to the Married with Comics podcast, where we constantly f*** up. <laughs> she goes from Marvel Girl to Phoenix to Marvel Girl to Jean Grey to Phoenix to Dead. Um, 
And then apparently he's so consumed with his own thoughts that he runs right past three monkeys. <laughs> yeah. and now, uh, a brainwave camera took a picture of that guy's head. <laughs> a brainwave right? camera. Oh, and Ben's just basically, whatever you gotta do to stop the commies, Nick. So join us at the Married with Comics podcast. We're two newlyweds with a love for comics intelligently, critically, and thoughtfully discuss comic books. Also listen as we goof around, make jokes, and make fun of John for mispronouncing names. I do that a lot. Sometimes we'll pick a topic and review and discuss comics that relate to the topic. And sometimes we'll pick up a comic and see what discussion topics come up. Sometimes we'll spend an entire episode talking about how much Maggie loves Batman. The only thing that's almost as strong as my love for you is my love for Batman. The Married with Comics podcast. Available directly on our site at marriedwcomics.lipson.com, on iTunes, and wherever good podcasts are found. Also, check us out at Facebook at the Married with Comics podcast. We've got everything you need. Black coffee. And I suppose you're here with no agenda, as per usual? On the contrary, I'm here for comics. I think I can help all of you. Hello, I'm the caffeinated Clinton Robison, and I host a podcast called Coffee and Comics. On this podcast, I summarize, review, and discuss comic book issues, stories, and related media, usually in the span of time it takes to have a cup of coffee. Sometimes I'm joined by a guest, and sometimes I'm flying solo. So pour the coffee, take a sip, and turn up the volume as you listen to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and directly on coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And remember, this is where the comics are never too old, and the coffee is never too cold. episode, the greatest television series of all time, MASH. Find MASHcast on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Jocularity! Jocularity! Welcome back. Now let's take a look at Starman number 12. As I said earlier, technically this is a June book. This came out June 1st. Let me get to that. So the cover date was July of 1989. The on-sale date was June 1st, 1989. There was also a, uh, another book later in the month. So, like I said earlier, instead of doing two books, two Starman books next month, in addition to Starman, I've had slide this one forward a day and do it this month. So, that's what it is. Uh, the cover price was $1. The editor was Robert Greenberger. The title of this story was called The Blood of Heroes. Written by Roger Stern. Penciled by Tom Lyle, inked by Robert Campanella, letter was Robert M. Piana, colors was Juliana Freder, and the cover credits was by Tom Lyle. The synopsis, and once again the synopsis and the credits all come from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Starman is attacked by the power of late who blame him for the death of David Winters. 
The battle threatens to destroy the Hutchings Institute. Starman tries to get the workers to safety, while the late in their leader, Harold Melrose, press the attack. Eventually, Frank Donovan turns on Melrose. He turns him to the authorities. Meanwhile, Warren Clement provides damage control by cutting ties with Melrose. During the fight with Starman, Dennis Blake is killed in an accident of his own doing. The other members of the Power Elite and Starman are then enveloped in an explosion. Starman walks away unharmed, while the other members are presumed dead, but no bodies are recovered. <clears throat> so, might get my little two cents, since this is comics, they ain't dead. But we'll see if they ever show up again. Uh, now, for my thoughts on this issue. As Norm, we're going to start with the cover. The cover, we see Starman flying around. Behind him, we see the uh, one, two, three, four, five, the five members of the Power Elite attacking them. And they're all displaying their powers. We've got one flying. We've got the, uh, I forget her name, the, the one gal, giant size strong. We got someone else blasting with beams. Someone else firing them with like a fire blast. Probably a sunfire. And another strong ship with the eye beam, whatever it's called, a big old steel girder arms. Not a bad cover. It's I like it. I go back and forth on this cover. Sometimes when I look at it, it looks like it may not be quite finished properly, or maybe I don't know. It's. Some of the characters don't quite fully finished. Will's hair looks a little off. Uh, I forget their names. One of the guys flying doesn't look quite right. But then just looking at it overall, just as a big picture, it's a really nice cover. I mean, it's action-packed. we got Starman flying. we got all these people using their powers. It's a nicely done cover. Don't get me wrong. So I, I go back and forth on it. But overall, I like the cover. It's a very nice cover, in my opinion. Basically, unlike a lot of covers, modern covers, it shows us what's going to happen in this issue. That is basically, it's a big fight between Starman and the Power Elite. So, it does its job. And then for the story itself, as I talked about in the, the recap, it starts off the origin, basically a retelling of the origin of Starman. Uh, we're a year into the book. It's issue 12, so it's actually a year ago it started. In the timelines, uh... But I do like this first page here, which kind of recap. It tells how Melrose was working on a project. Uh, the satellite got hit by some space debris, and the beam hit Will. And I like here on page one, I'm looking for a page number. Page one, uh, we show Will Smith transforming the, I'm sorry, this, the bottom half of the page, the middle panel. We show Starman transforming from Will Payton into Starman. I really like that image. We get four shots of him, Will Payton in the back, Starman in the middle, and like a, a cross between the two of them. The other two images of him slowly turning into Starman. I like the way that looks. The next panel on this page, we have Starman knocking out Bolt <laughs> with his big logo, Starman. And again, I don't care what people say. I don't care what you say, Shag. I like the peanut butter and jelly costume as you refer to it. I love his original costumes. Very superheroic and very, very 80s to me, which I really like. So, And then we continue with Starman's origin early stories where... We see Melrose, you know, he's that waving a paper around Starman says man. Want to find out what he can about Starman and that, again, if he wants, that if Starman got powers from his experiment, he wants to get it back from him some way. We see a scene here of him battling the power elite. Again, as Siskoid uh, and Boss mentioned over on their uh, Invasion podcast when they reviewed the Starman issue, Dealing with invasion, uh, their complaints, and I, I agree with it. I didn't really think about it at the time, 
But after they mentioned, yeah, I can see that. Melrose was intending these guys, the power elite, to go public and become great superheroes. But this is the late 80s, he, early 90s, he didn't give them costumes. They, they all they have is, uh, what is he, gray or brown fatigues. So, I mean, they're all uniform, but they're, they're uniforms. They're not costumes, per se. So, it, it seems that if he wanted these guys to be superheroes, he would have followed the mold and created costumes for them. But uh, talking out loud to myself, I, I do agree they should have costumes if they're going to be superheroes. But I can, I don't know, just try to picture Melrose's mindset and... I, I could see him padding him in something more utilitarian instead of something flashy. But uh, I think they would have been better characters, better villains for Starman, if they would have had some sort of co- even if they were similar costumes, if they had costumes instead of just these, these normal clothes. It would have given them more of a supervillain, superhero, whatever vibe, so... And then the last couple of panels deals with last issue where he, he convinces uh, Melrose convinces Starman to come and help out the Power Elite. Uh, Power Elite again, just to recap: during the invasion, when the uh, they set off the gene bomb, the aliens set off the gene bomb. The entire team went can- uh, cam- uh, comatose, not canatose, comatose, and they've been like that since. So we see here Starman strapped in the machine, going all black because he's using so much power on it. And the last panel, we see uh, David Winters, the one that was getting greedy and didn't want to get out of the machine when it was time, just keep absorbing the power, which eventually killed him. Which takes us to the third page, but we finally catch where we ended up last issue. We get the entire Power Elites facing off against Starman. And I said none of them have costumes, actually. And again, I'm, I'm terrible with their names. Uh, I've talked about this in the last year, on and off, when they've shown up. But there's one girl that could grow really strong. She has kind of a costume. She has a black leotard-type thing. She stretches out her clothes and rips her clothes off. So I, this costume must be made of unstable molecules or something. <laughs> but, and I love, I haven't mentioned this before, I don't think. But I love in the, uh, the box down here that has the crater credits. In the credit credits, it's got little stars in there. It's really nice looking. It gives the Starman feel to the, even the credits. And like this here on page three, we got the other five members of the Power Elite coming at Starman. Starman's getting up off the floor saying, oh no, and he's got smoke because he just let off a lot of power. A great image. I don't know if it's quite poster worthy, but it's a great image for the battle that's upcoming. And so they, they blame Starman for David dying. And Starman's trying to explain. He's like, no, listen, it was your, about your buddy. It wasn't my fault. He, he's much killed himself. That's bull, man. And you know, uh, Will, a.k.a. Starman's talking to himself in his head. He's telling you, you know, the last thing I want right now is another fight. But I'll be damned if I'm going to stand here and take this. And he just, you know, they blast against the wall. And he just pet his energy into it and just stands up to him. And pushes it back. I like this. He said they're shooting with some energy beams. And one of them's trying to... Uh, 
Donovan's trying to talk him down. He's like, hey, man, something doesn't seem right about this. Just calm down. Let's feel what's going on. And uh, Denny's, <clears throat> excuse me, Denny's like, uh, Dream uh, Kramitz, I'm not late. I'm not taking breaks for this clown. And as he's blasting him, Starman just keeps walking. He says here, you get his thoughts. I guess I miss a lot of current modern comics as they, they cut out a lot of the thought balloons. But it gives you a way to give you some inner workings of the character. Helps explain things. Like here, we see bottom of page five. Bottom right. The right side of the screen. No, the left side of the screen. We see show Starman's angle. So the left side, we see Starman's angle. The right side, we see the power leads angle. Where they're blasting them. And he just keeps walking forward. And his last panel here of Starman, he's like, these concussion blasts hurt like the devil. But if I can manage just one more step. And then next to that, we get uh, Denny saying, I'm giving him everything I got. He's going to fall soon. And the other he's like, fall, damn you, fall down. Fall down. And then Starman just hits the ground with his fist and knocks him to their feet, which stops him from firing upon him. It's a great little fight there. I really love that. It's very reminiscent of uh, something the Hulk used to do a lot. He would smash the ground and cause people to fall down. <laughs> I really like that panel there. But anyways, they fight on as I talked about in the synopsis. And then we get Melrose coming on one of the monitors, egging him on, telling him, understand there, put yourselves together. You're still fighting as one. You can capture him before you can do it again. Don't get away with Whitner's murder. And again, even though he knows full well that it wasn't Starman's fault, he's he doesn't care about the truth. He cares about what he wants. And he wants Starman captured. So he's lying to the team, feeding into their, their beliefs already that they have about Starman. And Starman just gets all upset here on page 7. Starman, you know, turns pure black as he blasts the monitor screen. I love when he just powers up and just blasts the monitor screen. Don't you see what he's doing? He's using you. He's been using all of us, says you. And then, again, I'm terrible with their names. The, the, the big gal, the girl's really big. She's like, the man makes sense to me. And then they get a little more fight. Starman's trying to fly off, get away from him. And one of them captures him in a, a status beam, if you will, and holds him still. You telekinesis. And... Uh, Winners, or not winners, uh, Dr. Melrose comes out with, uh, uh, out of the wall with some sort of device to grab Starman's head. And I guess he's getting, he says here in the, uh, the captioning or the, uh, dialogue, he says it's a few hundred thousand volts they're applying to him. And Starman again powers up and just gets so powerfully, turns pure black again, frees himself. And as he does that, it says like uh, a psychosynetic feedback to Stanley Hell. That's the guy that used the, the capture of the uh, telekinesis, telekinesis, if you want. And it causes him to knock out, and he falls to the ground. And yeah, I just love the the fight here between them. Starman melts through the wall and. Goes flying through the facility trying to get people out of there. I like this. Everybody get out. I won't hurt you, but I can't vouch for them as the power leaves just falling out through the hole. And I forget who I, who coined the phrase. I think I heard it over on uh, Michael Bailey's uh, 
either from Christ to Crisis or his own views from the long box. Uh, there's a little what you call fight, fight, run, run, where they're fighting and running and fighting more running. And the uh, power elites chasing after Starman. And then as that's going on, we get this hectic fight scene. Here on page 10, page 11, we cut over and we see Carol's uh, business being set up. And Jeannie's coming in, or Janie. Jane. But you want to pronounce it Jeannie, I guess it's Jane. Jane comes in. So we go from a uh, scene of, you know, fighting and all this to this ordinary scene. And again, as Shag would say, uh, Carol's hot. I've got to say that. <laughs> and again, Carol's asking about Will. She's like, you know, uh, Jane's telling Carol that, you know, they ought to go watch her and Will. And she'll get her friend Rick and they'll go watch the, Sto- the Three Stooges Festival. He's like, Will and the Stooges? Why, certainly, Miss Peyton. I haven't seen Will since we had lunch the other week. How's it doing? And again, she's filling in, filling in for him, making up excuses, if you will. Oh, you know, my brother of mine, if he isn't working or reading or hiking, he's probably also getting in trouble. And then here on page 12, we got to, well, again, more fighting with Will and the team, the Power uh, Elite. And again, a lot of people don't care much for the Power Elite because they don't have a lot of personality, per se. They're just there to fight Will, but I, I enjoy the power of what they were. I, I don't know. Again, I think Roger Stern's a great writer. I think that he could have had a little more time, maybe, and I, I don't know, maybe give him more, a little more time, a little more issues or what, but give him a little bit more background, a little more something to make him so they're a little more likable, if you will. But again, as they're fighting... Uh, Melrose's stooge here is like, yes, sir, I'm getting all on tape. No amount of editing will make us look totally innocent. That did activate the building. And again, there's cameras all over the place. Uh, not cameras, monitors. And Nelson pops up every so often. Now I'm Samantha, just, you know, coaching the team. And <laughs> I, I like the way Melrose is just, he, he's egging the team on, trying to get him to stop Starman. And again, Starman, he takes out Samantha, I believe this is. That's the big gal that can grow really big. Uh, Samantha, he takes her out. And he sees some people heading at the edge of the building. He's like, what are you guys doing here? Get out of here. There's two more of these guys. And these guys that work for the Institute, they're like, he's worried about us? Whose side is he on? And one of the guys like, maybe we should ask whose side we're on. And so I like the fact that these ordinary people that work for Hutchinson Institute... They've been told one thing about Starman, but seeing him in battle, the seeing that he actually cares for people, and he's actually stopping to make sure these people are all right, make them realize that, you know, maybe we've been lied to. You know, are we the good guys or not? And then the other, the, the strong girl, who, you know, she's normal size, she's an attractive girl, a lady. She comes up behind Starman and grabs him. You drop the Boy Scout act. Okay. Where do they find these gals? This one's shorter than Jane, but she's got to grip like iron. And she then, uh, again, I'm terrible with her names, but again, they're not around long enough for me to really care, remember? She's like, if you're a witness, why did you attack Sammy? Answer me. And he said, oh, now you want answers? We'll wait for that. And he uses his power to blast her off. He puts his feet on the wall and blasts himself away and throws her into the wall with him to knock her out. And then one of the power elite comes over and starts throwing rock at him. I don't, care who wants your, I don't care what your story is. Nobody lays a, lays a hand on Olivia. Nobody. 
It's like he Starkman's all. Haven't any of you heard people? Any of you people heard self defense? And I, I do like that. I can't remember their names because I'm terrible at names, and these guys aren't long enough. But they do give us the names at some point. When I say the attractive uh, brunette that you just tack out is Olivia. This guy is uh, hell. Get people, you know. That's one thing about the way uh, Roger wrote this story is that. He wrote it that way. If you can't remember the names, he gives you the names at some point in the story. And then Don, one of the other guys who's got Starman's, I guess, heat powers. Because uh, Donovan comes walking up to Melrose. And Melrose is watching what's going on. And Melrose is like, how could everything go so wrong so quickly? And Donovan's like, it's been, going, it's been going wrong for a long time, Doc. I think you're the reason why. I never agreed with everything you had us do. But I went along with it because I thought you knew what you were doing. Not anymore. And as I say, Donovan's arms is low, uh, from his elbows down are glowing black with energy like Starman does. And as Warren, uh, Melrose's assistant, he's talking on the phone. We see monitors behind him. I like the fact that we're focusing on Warren Clements, Melrose's assistant, as he's talking on the phone to somebody. As in the background, we see monitors, what's going on kind of behind him. He's like, yes, sir, I understand we may have to cut certain parties loose. And then here on this next page where Donovan's talking to Melrose, he's telling him, it's over, Melrose, you're through. And we see Clemens like, yeah, I'm afraid he's right. And one of the monitors says, total system purge, records be deleted. With a little countdown. Hey, guys, you know the fight in this page. In the next couple pages, just more fighting between Starman and the Power Elites. And a couple more of the Power Elite die during the battle. Not because of Starman's doing, but because of battling Starman. There's one where uh, Denny is shooting the power blasts and knocks the wall down, which crushes himself. And again, they're, they're, the Power Elite's blaming Starman for a lot of this. And they basically bring the building down on themselves. And then the um, state troopers or marshals, wherever this is, show up. And by this time, Donovan's bringing Melrose out, and he tells the cop, he's like, I'm Donovan, power elite. This is Harold Melrose. He's been responsible for this mess. Don't want to tell you otherwise. Take him away. And the cop's like, oh, yeah, just what am I supposed to charge him with? And by that point, Donovan runs back into the building to try to save the others. As here on page 19, uh, the entire page is three panels. We see the building exploding. And Starman's flying around trying to find more survivors. And all of a sudden, there's a huge explosion. And then on page 20, we see Starman come climbing out of the rubble. There's a big hole in the ground. Firemen are putting the fire out. And then we cut to the Expeditional News Network here on page 21. Which basically catches us up what's going on. The building is destroyed. And Warren is basically turning on Melrose. He's saying, well, Melrose is a friend of mine, dedicated man. I'm shocked and appalled what he's done. So he gets a little catch-up. And you, know, you always have to love the Expeditional News Network. And uh, here on the bottom of page 21, again, Clement's just as much of this uh, up to his neck in this as Melrose is as far as background goes. Maybe more, because he was talking to somebody else, it looks like, on the phone which we don't know at this point who he was talking to. 
because I don't believe it was Melrose, because Melrose was busy at that point, ran and raving and trying to get the rest of the Harley to kill Starman, so. Uh, but yeah, he's like, the distance is your death, sir. Many more might have perished today if not for you. So again, he's trying to kiss up and trying to to get Starman on his side. And like here on the top of page 22, Claude's like, thank God we live in a nation with such men, excuse me, with such people as Starman. And then we see Starman, we just see a shadow in the back of his eyes glowing like he's, you know, not believing any of this bull. <laughs> and then we end the story with uh, Will sitting by the couch talking to Sister Jane, how he doesn't believe anything that comes out of the Institute. The only way he could tie this to was Melrose, but he's sure there's others that's tied into it. And he finished off saying that, you know, what bothers him the most is that Danny was the only body they recovered. He knew they wouldn't find for winners, but there should have been something to the others. He went back and the higher, uh, he went back for the body. The section of the upper level had been crushed, been moved. So basically that they only found like one body, and he knows there should be a couple more. So if there's no bodies, are they actually dead? And then it ends with uh, Jane saying, well, how could they survive to escape unseen if they did survive? And he's like, I don't know for certain. I don't know. All I know for certain is that a project started by some paranoid gave me these powers. How many more like him are waiting for me out there? And then we get a quote by Stephen Stills that says, Paranoia strikes deep into your life. It will creep. Which is a very good quote for the end of the story where, again, Will Payton is paranoid about there may be more people like this out there after him. And what's that old saying they say? Uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out after you. So, and again, we got a little blur here at the bottom saying next issue, join us as we kick off our second year of a tale of Ghosts and Monsters. And then again, another great story here in the letter column. Something I'll need to cover maybe next issue. I was going to we could talk about this real quick. There's a note in the, in the uh, letter column that uh, they had some fun inking Tom Lyle in Action Comics Weekly 622. I usually read the letter columns. Somehow I must have missed this one because I didn't realize it until more recently. But apparently Starman appeared in an issue of Action Comics Weekly. I didn't realize that all these years until a buddy of mine, Jay Jones, he does a Wild Dog podcast called Wild Pod. I've advertised it on here before, I believe. I'll definitely run one today for it, but... Uh, he was going to be appear on an episode of that because Wild Dog's appearing in Action Comic Weekly. So he's, hey, Aaron, would you? I know you're, you know, you like Wild Dog for what you said. Would you be willing to cover these issues? I'm like, sure. So I'm reading through these issues of Action Comics, and I came across issue 622 with a Starman story. So I was going to cover this in a special issue with. Uh, I was going to have Jay help me with it since he's the one that pointed it out to me. But Jay's had some problems trying to get recording with other people, so. Uh, Pet that off for now, but I may do that on my own. And I'm still debating whether I want to do that. Maybe I'll slip this one of these episodes or maybe a special episode. I don't know, but watch soon for an episode of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I will be covering the Action Comics Weekly issue 622. Uh, from what I remember, I read it after Jay pointed it out to me. I read it, and it takes place relatively early in Starman's career. So it would have taken place before all this, if I remember right. 
So I'll just have to read it and we'll figure out where it goes. But <laughs> it was an interesting little story, so I'm definitely going to cover it. Just no matter when, where I'm going to slip into my uh, coverage at. But that's going to do it for this issue of Starman. As I say every episode, I love this Starman series. I thought it was great. I thought Roger Stern did a fantastic job at it. I love Tom Lyle's artwork on it. I don't care what people like Shag say. I love this version of the costume. It's a very superhero, superhero, superhero oriented costume. But let's go ahead and jump over to our uh, next section, the Copa Comics comic rack. And these are books that were on sale May of 1989. And again, I'm pulling all this information as I normally do from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. That's a great site, especially for us podcasters. And again, this isn't everything, but this is the, the ones that stand out to me for whatever reason. A brief mention of ALF 19, issue 19, annual number two. I didn't read this book. I think I picked up a couple of issues early on, but I, I, I used to watch the TV show. I enjoyed it. Uh, moving on from there, there's Amazing Spider-Man 319. This was with uh, Scorpion, Rhino, and I think it was in Black Shrike, I believe the villain's name was. Uh, this was when it started going twice monthly. So we also had Amazing Spider-Man 320 with Paladin. This was just a few months after I started collecting this book. Like I mentioned before, I started with it's like issue 312 or 314. So I just started this a few months before that. Also this month was Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 23. This was part of the Atlantis Attacks crossover. This had a crossover with the Abomination appeared and She-Hulk's in it. And again, this was Atlantis Attacks. This was that year's big crossover for their annuals where basically Atlantis was attacking the service world and the uh, heroes had to deal with it. Good little crossover, part of the uh, last attack. I think it was the Serp- Serpent Crown Affair or something like that. It was after some Serpent Crown, I forget now. It's been a while since I've read these. Whole slew of Archie books, Avengers number 307. Again, I just started this like seven months before that with issue 300. Avengers Spotlight 22. This was a Hawkeye solo book that had a Hawkeye solo story, and then a second story by another character. This one had, it looks like, uh, The Swordsman. This is the second hero of this one. Avengers West Coast number 48. Again, I don't think I was buying it at this time. I think I was reading my friend Billy's copies, if I'm not mistaken. Batman 405. This was part three of three of the Many Deaths of Batman, I believe it's called. Yeah, The Many Deaths of Batman. I don't remember what this was about offhand. The writer on this was John Byrne, penciled by uh, Joe Aparo. So it's got my opinion was great because I, I loved John Burns' time and Mike Parles, or Jim Harrell's artwork was great. So, but yeah, it's definitely. And for more on Batman, check out good buddy of the show, Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin's podcast, The Dark Knight Podcast, where they talk about Batman from this era. It's a great show. And moving on from there, we had Captain America. Issues 357, 358. This also was bi-weekly. This was part of the Bloodstone storyline. This was by... I believe this was uh, Mark Grunewald doing the art, uh, the, uh, the story on this. It was a great story. Mark did some great uh, stories for that. Also this month was Captain Adam number 30. This was part 11 of the Janus Directive. I'll be covering the Janus Directive very soon over my Task Force X podcast. I definitely watch for that. And also for more on Captain Adam, watch for Buddy J. Jones and his Silver and Gold podcast, 
We talked about Captain Adam and Blue Beetle. I think what it was. Silver and Gold. It was Blue Beetle and Captain Adam. Um, <laughs> also, this month on sale was, let me see here. I'm looking through. There's Cops number 13, which was based on the TV show about futuristic cops. I don't remember how far if I read all these books, but I used to watch the cartoon. I enjoyed the cartoon a lot. I was counseled before its time. Count Ducula number six. I only read a couple of these. I don't think I read this issue, but I remember seeing Count Ducula when I was younger. Uh, I say younger. I was early teens, probably first got cable. It was showing up like on HBO or somewhere like that. It was an interesting cartoon. Daredevil 270 and Anna number five. Uh, for more on Daredevil, check out J. David Weeder. He's got a podcast looking at Daredevil. Moving on from there, we have Detective Comics 601. Again, I already mentioned my buddies uh, Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin's The Dark Knight podcast. Also this month, we had Doctor Strange number 7. I really enjoyed this. This was by uh, J.M. DeMatteis. This was a great story. I I loved uh, this version of Doctor Fate. This was uh, Eric and Linda Strauss. Had a weird relationship. Check it out. But definitely read Doctor Fate. That was a good book. If you can find those, definitely read them. Uh, Moving on from there, the next one I'm going to mention is uh, Fantastic Four 330. This one had Dr. Doom on the cover. Again, I don't remember the stories offhand, but this one shows Dr. Doom power crackling all around him. Great cover. Uh, Next one I mentioned is Firestorm number 87. Uh, Again, for more on Firestorm, check out my buddy, The Irredeemable Shag and Rob Kelly's Fire and Water Podcast Network. They have an Aquaman Firestorm podcast. Eventually, we'll get to these books. Also, the first couple pages in here is like an epilogue to the Jazz Directive, so I'll talk about the first few pages here uh, in a few months over on the Task Force X once again. Flash number 28. Uh, this was part of the Porcupine Story Man, Porcupine Man storyline written by William Messner Loeb's. Great. I enjoyed this story. I He's battling off against uh, Golden Glider and Captain Cold. I thought that was a great story. And I don't think anyone's doing a Flash podcast. Someone needs to get on it. Or I'm going to have to do it eventually. Uh, G.I. Joe, Real, a Real American Hero number 90. Uh, this has Road Pig on the cover, dragging grunt and rock and roll through the halls. Again, I cover this. I will be covering this one eventually over my G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast podcast. Also on the cell, on cell this month was G.I. Joe European Missions. G.I. Joe... They took the concept over to uh, England, over in that area, Europe in general, and had a comic called Action Force, I believe it was. And I believe what they did was they took those those G.I. Joe stories, they, they retold, well, they, they didn't retell our stories, they told new stories about G.I. Joe over there called Action Force. They took Action Force and rebranded as G.I. Joe European Missions and played it, and put a comic over here for a while. Also, as G.I. Joe Special Missions 25. Uh, that's near the end of the special missions run. Again, I won't be covering the European missions more than likely, but I will be covering the uh, special missions eventually over on my G.I. Joe podcast, as I just mentioned. Next up is Green Arrow number 20. Uh, again, I read that story. This was a more mature reader. This was all he had switched from uh, trick arrows or used actual bow and arrow, actual regular arrows. The storyline was called The Trial of Oliver Queen Part 2. I love this. Uh, definitely check out the Warlord Worlds. I believe it's called. That's a podcast by fan, uh, friends of the show, 
Ruth and Darren Sutherland. Uh, they talk about everything from Mike Grell, who's the writer of this, Warlord, Green Arrow, a bunch of other uh, sh- uh, comics written by the great Mike Grell. Uh, moving on from there, we have Hawk and Dove number two. Number two, yeah, wow, okay. Uh, this was written by Barbara Kiesel and Carl Kiesel. This was a great series. I enjoyed this Hawk and Dove series. This was had a five-issue miniseries. I think it was written by Barbara and Carl Kiesel, if I'm not mistaken. And the pencil was done by some newcomer named uh, Rob Liefeld. I don't think it ever happens with him. He did the miniseries, and then it came a regular series with a different artist. But I really enjoyed the Hawk and Dove series. I will briefly be touching on that, or at least the annual for that, over on my Head Speaks podcast eventually. Part of the Armageddon 2001 storyline. Sad. Anyways, moving on from there. Hero Hotline number four. I never read this. I was always told about it by uh, Lonnie. No. I forget the guy's name. A comic shop I used to go to. I talked to the owner, and that was the storyline he always mentioned to me. I never got around to reading. Uh, just a brief mention of Huntress number four. This is the revamped Huntress where she was a uh, family. She was part of a crime family. And her family was wiped out, so she became a vigilante to avenge their deaths, if you will. Uh, she showed up in the Just League series at the time. Uh, Incredible Hulk 359. This is the Hulk. And on the cover, we've got the Abomination, it looks like. The Thang and Wolverine fighting. I think it's Abomination's on. I can't quite tell. But this was written by Peter David. This was the Gray Hulk, it looks like, at the time. Uh, the Mr. Fix-It Hulk. Some good stories there. Iron Man 246. Uh, going on, there's Just League, Just League America 28, which has Ice and Guy Gardner out on a date. Again, from we're on the Just League International, Just League America time, check out the JLI Wahaha podcast by Buddy Shag of the Irredeemables. Uh, moving on from there, there was the this month was also released the Just League Annual number three, which I'm, Shag will, I'm sure Shag will cover. And. Also this month was Just League, a new beginning trade paperback, which reprinted like the first seven or eight issues of the Just League series that Shag is covering. I love that series. It was great. Legion of Superheroes number 62. This was, looks like right before, yeah, the, the five years later storyline. Huh, I thought it came out sooner than that. I guess not. This was written by Paul Levitz and plotted and penciled by Keith Giffen. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about this series. I've read some of these. This is part of the Magic Wars. Uh, definitely an interesting storyline. Uh, from there, we move on to the Lex Luthor, the unauthorized biography number one. Uh, this was a one-shot that came out that basically told the origins of the modern-day Lex Luthor. I believe that, if I'm not mistaken, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor covered this over on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Definitely check them out. Uh, Manhunter 15, of course. Moon Knight... I'm uh, sorry, it's called Mark Spector, Moon Knight number four. I enjoyed this. This is kind of like Batman's ver- or Marvel's version of Batman, if you will. Written by Chuck Dixon. That was a good series. Uh, we had Marvel Comics Presents number 27 through 29. That was a weekly series. Uh, wasn't bad. It was like, kind of like a Wolverine series with other guest hosts, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, moving on from there, Mighty Thor 407. Mr. Miracle number six. That was a great series. I love that Mr. Miracle series. 
New Gods number five. I, I want to love the New Gods. I kept trying it out, but I never could get a good handle on them. New Mutant 79. This was shortly before Rob Liefeld showed up over there and brought in Cable and that whole group. Uh, moving on from there, there was the, uh, just as a brief mention, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe number three, which was their version of Who's Who, which wasn't as good. Uh, Power Packaderms was from Marvel. That was like an X-Men riff with animals. I picked that one up. It was, it was interesting. Good for a good chuckle. Predator number one from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, Punisher number 23. The Annual number two. And Punisher War Journal number eight. I read all of these. I was a big time buying most Marvel and DC comics. The Question Annual number two. Uh, moving on from there. Next book I'm going to mention is Secret Wars number 42. As I mentioned, a great series. This one had Phantom Girl and the Grim Ghost. For more on the Secret Origins, check out the defunct Secret Origins podcast by buddy Ryan Daly and a revolving cast of crew. Sensational She-Hulk number five. I enjoyed that series. Uh, moving on from there, there was a, let me see, a Sergeant Rock special number four. Silver Surfer number 27. I don't know if I read this one. I read most of the Marvel, but I don't know if I got this one or not. Silver Surfer, again, is hit or miss with me. Uh, moving on from that, we had the Spectacular Spider-Man 154 with uh, Puma. And also this month was Spectacular Spider-Man and number 9, part of Atlantis Attacks. And this one had on the cover Hawk and Dove. Oh, Hawk and Dove. Cloak and Dagger, now major motion TV stars or whatever you want to call it. Stars their new TV show. That's what it is on Freeform. Uh, moving on from that, Suicide Squad number 30. This was part 10 of the Janus Directive. Again, Coming soon to Task Force Net, Task Force X, the Janus Directive part, Superman 33, which was, uh, again, this was part of Superman's Exile from Earth, and this was covered over on the From Crisis to Crisis Superman podcast. Great show. Check that one out. Transformers 56. This was, I think, right after I started buying the book. Uh, watch for a box cast coming soon from somebody, I'm sure. Uh <laughs> That was a shout-out to Rob Kelly there. He's not a fan of them. Uh, Uncanny X-Men 248. Unknown Soldier number 7. That was a 12-issue miniseries on the revamped stories of the Unknown Soldier, which was good. I like that storyline. I forget what it was now. It's been 30 years or whatever since I've read it, but I enjoyed that. Web Spider-Man number 54. Uh, this cover, we see Jonah... Shapeshifting into the chameleon, firing a gun at Spider-Man as Spider-Man's dodging all the way. Written by the wonderful Jerry Conway. What if number three? This is what if Steve Rogers would refuse to give up being Captain America. I love that what if series. Another podcast someone needs to start. Uh, Wolverine number 11. I enjoyed that series. I picked that one up when it came out. Wolverine number 12 also came out this month. And then another book called The Wolverine Saga. I remember picking it up, but honestly, I don't remember what it was about now. Huh. Uh, Wonder Woman number 32. Again, my friend Billy, a.k.a. Bob, had bought this series, and eventually we kind of drifted apart, so I ended up buying it my own because I was addicted. X-Men. I'm sorry, X-Men. X-Factor 44. And there was no... Oh, yeah, this is when it was called Uncanny X-Men. Okay. And then there was... Uh, I didn't buy this book. I think Billy read a lot of these. was Young All-Stars number 27. So... That was what was out on the comic stand 
in May of 1989. Again, not everything. There's a few other books I didn't mention that I didn't care for or just didn't bring anything like the NAM. I know uh, Tom Panneries has a podcast about the NAM out there. I never got into that one. Uh, Vance Dungeons and Dragons and so forth. But that's going to do it. Please let me know what you guys think. Uh, it's been just a little over an hour, so I'm going to get this show finished. Send me an email to smah at headspeaks.com or look for us on Facebook. You can look for me on Twitter under the Headcast Network. Uh, look for me on iTunes or I'm sorry, it's Apple Podcasts. Leave a review wherever you get your podcast at. Let me know what you think. I don't have any emails or anything to read right now, so we're going to go ahead and end the show. Uh, just remember, kids, leave a review, send me an email, let me know what you think. I appreciate hearing from people. Until next time, Star Hunters, keep looking to the stars. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Please join us next month for another great, fantastic episode as we cover another issue of the Will Payton Starman series and the Mark Shaw Manhunter series. Uh, Keep in mind that these podcasts are not affiliated or endorsed by DC Comics. I'm just a fanboy who loves these comics and wants to spread these love with everyone else out there and just talk about them. Um, again, you can email us at smah at headspeaks.com or you can go to our blog, which is at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com. You can also go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash starman-manhunter-adventure-hour. No spaces, all one word. But once again, thank you very much for joining us. Until next episode... This is Aaron Moss saying, see you in the funny pages.